to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here with the author of 15 books. Her latest is Before the Alamo, and she is the subject of a documentary. She is the was the subject of an extended radio series, and uh, she's she's a speaker. She's an education a, a educator, and she is now the host of the Florence Weinberg Show. Florence by him. Weinberg, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg is our host each and every week. Frank McKay here, proud to be her co-host. Doc, how are you? I'm doing well, Frank. Thank you. I hope you are too. Yeah, no, I, I, I am, and it's, uh, it's. Listen, it's always good to catch up uh, with you. There's always a lot of information coming out of you that I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't even, even if I researched it myself, uh, it, you, you come up with, you know, the, the perfect amount and the way you impart the wisdom is, uh, is very nice. That's the educator in you. And, and I'll tell you, kudos to you on that. So I'm looking forward to what you have to say today. Right. Well, I have three topics I want to talk about. So it's sort of a, a news magazine today. Um, one of them and all of them actually affect Texas. Some of them might eventually affect the rest of the country. The first one, I think, is mainly a Texas problem, and that is the Texas electricity and uh, grid and its gas um, gas supply for heating. Um, as uh, I think I had a whole program on on that uh, once, not too long after we had a week of sub-zero temperatures here in San Antonio and I think all the way down to the tip of uh, the Texas point down there uh, into Mexico. Um, And people froze to death. Uh, The official count was 300, but since then I've heard as many as 800 people and probably more that died um, that froze. Uh, but their deaths were attributed to other causes. Um, so people suffered, and the uh, uh, the water lines in the houses uh, built here in Texas are not underground as they are in colder climates in this country. They go uh, over the ceiling because it's quicker and cheaper to, to put the, uh, the, the water lines up, up there. Uh, so when they froze and broke, that uh, caused the ceilings to collapse on people also during that freezing wake. Um, and the reason for the problems with our electrical grid is that it's not attached to the grid that serves the rest of the nation. And, of course, that's because our governors here in Texas think that Texas, and Texans mostly think, uh, that we are so unique and so special because we were a republic for all of nine years, 17 days, back in the 19th century. Uh, And we became a a state in the Union in 1846. But for nine years before that, and after the Battle of the Alamo, we were... uh, nation to ourselves, and that's why we are the lone star state, and all this pride and puffery about it. Uh, And part of that extended to things like attaching to the national electrical grid. Unfortunately, our little old electrical grid turned out to be unprepared for cold weather. And so when the 
uh, when various uh, switches and links froze, then there was no more electricity or gas in the uh, in the whole state, and we suffered. So uh, our state legislature then met this year. Our state legislature meets only every other year, can you imagine? In modern-day um, politics and modern-day events, every other year is just not enough, I think, for a legislature to keep up with ongoing events, good and bad. But Texas has not changed. Wow, that's terrible. Yes, what? That's terrible. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, I think I, I I never heard that. I had no idea that happened. What a terrible yes. idea! Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, it has not been changed, uh, but this year, so it met, and um, and it completed its work, which, by the way, included the passage of this anti-abortion bill. The uh, no abortions after six six weeks of pregnancy bill, which means that most women will not know they're they're pregnant, but they'll already be shut out of having an abortion if they have to have one. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's one bill that got passed, and another bill that got passed was the anti-transgender children bill, which forbids transgender children from playing team sports. Uh, and using bathrooms uh, and so forth, uh, except for their original uh, gender, yeah. uh, which they uh, were born. I mean, if they were born male and were sw- and switched to female, which seems to be the majority, or the vi- or vice versa, born female and switched to male, then they would have to play on male, uh, say a female. Um, uh, now a female with all the uh, uh, the hormones and so forth and lack of muscle and uh, and the growth of breasts and all the rest, that person would be forced to to play on a man's team by our state legislature. So these burning issues persecuting transgender kids and definitely persecuting the women of of, uh, of Texas were passed, but nothing, and I mean zero, was done about the electrical grid. Now, some of the uh, companies, a lot of the electrical companies that serve the various cities and communities are private, privately owned. Some of them are trying to do something about it. Since the government is not the government of the state is not doing anything about it, but that is a sort of afterthought because people were waiting for the state legislature to do something. Well, it didn't. Mm. So, <laughs> so that is the situation with uh, with our coming winter weather, and with the. With climate change, it may very well go sub-zero again here in uh, in San Antonio and South Texas altogether. <clears throat> amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, generally speaking, it does go. We usually have uh, a cold snap. We uh, have no mountains or anything else between us and Canada. And so the icy winds can blow from the north. 
And it's called a blue norther. We have a term for it because it happens almost every winter anyway. But with the climate change, we have extremes of weather, which seem to be apt to happen. But our governor and state legislature think that's a minor thing by comparison to persecuting France kids and women. Yeah. We have to get that done. Yeah. Heaven forbid that uh, that a uh, trans uh, female should play on a female team. No, no. They have to play on a man's team. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I laugh, but it's not funny for those people involved. Yeah, it's it's certainly not tough. funny for the women who desperately need an abortion because there's something wrong with the, uh, with the fetus uh, or spinal bifida or some something terrible uh, that that uh, person who, if he were born, would have to put up with during his whole life. Um, anyway, so uh, that that sort of thing is much more important uh, than taking care of the general population who might uh, might be suffering as as we all did here in San Antonio. Uh, the snow didn't melt for a week. Uh, it was deep, and uh, uh, we had uh, no proper equipment, no salt trucks um, to uh, to melt it off. Uh, and uh, of course. Our homes were the temperature of the exterior, which was um, probably, uh, went down probably to zero Fahrenheit and stayed there for at least two days and then came all the way up to 20, stayed there for the rest of the week. Um, (laughs) We don't want to do that again, and yet the state legislature thinks that's trivial. So enough about that topic. Can I just say one thing? Yes, of course, please do. President Herbert Walker Bush, when he was becoming vice president, um, and he accepted the the nomination from Ronald Reagan, they asked him, the conservative right, asked him uh, if he would clarify his position on, on the abortion issue. And what he said is that he is against abortion in all forms, except... In, in the cases of rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Right. And I think that was the first time those were grouped together so famously, or at least that, that was the... I was 12 years old in front of a... Uh, in, in front of a little black-and-white TV set when that when that came on, and I had, uh, mm-hmm. I, I had heard that. Uh, in the current law in, in Texas now, is that taken into consideration? I mean, let's say the, the mother was going to die... Because uh, because of the birth, is she allowed to have an abortion if if her life is in jeopardy? No, there are no exceptions. Oh my God! Wow. Rape, incest, and the life of the mother—I don't think there are any exceptions at all. It's a death sentence for some people. And then, of course, uh, anti-abortionists have have never considered the welfare of the mother. And for that matter, they do not consider the welfare of the child once it's born. Because Texas has the worst record in in the country of of child care uh, for uh, for kids' unwanted children. Um, And we have a terrible system uh, of fostering uh, the children who are... uh, born from uh, from mothers who can't take care of them for one reason or another uh, they are put out there uh, on public the public dole and forgotten and so they have a terrible fate 
terrible lives and usually turn out to be criminals uh, because they are totally neglected, not trained, not taught. Um, and so it, it's, pro-life does not mean uh, t- caring for, uh, for the, wom- the woman who uh, will have difficulties unto death uh, if she is forced to bear the child. Uh, no no uh, worry about the lives of the children once they're born, but you're going to force them to come into the world, whether they're wanted or not, or whether they're deformed or crippled or God knows what or not. Uh, out they come in, in order to live miserable lives afterwards. <laughs> Pro-life does not mean caring for the life after birth, only the fetus. And so uh, I find that also shocking. And we also have a death penalty here in Texas. We don't care about people on death row, whether they're innocent or guilty. We put them to death. Yeah. And and we're proud of the record of how many people we've killed. Uh, yeah. The uh, uh, W, George Bush, uh, who was president of the United States, was also sort of counting, like putting notches on the uh, on the haft of his pistol, uh, the number of people that uh, that were uh, executed, uh, and I find that too uh, not exactly pro-life. So, so uh, people are totally inconsistent about uh, about their their uh, their beliefs, and as I say, they care for the fetus, but not afterwards. Not once that fetus becomes a child, a living child. Anyway, um, any comment on that? If if not, I will go on to the next topic. Just a, a sigh, uh, just a, the, no comment. Just a big sigh, like, uh, what can we yes. do? But uh, go ahead, just uh, a minute. Yes, yes. Well, the only thing we can do is to, to allow people to vote <laughs> and change the regime that we've had, uh, the Bush regime, um, uh, through. Father and son, and uh, and now Governor Greg Abbott, uh, who inherited uh, the throne, you might say, uh, and who is governor governing like a an autocrat um, in a party that is supposed to believe in small government. He is dictating that uh, the schools cannot mandate uh, vaccines or masks to protect the children. And if uh, uh, if the school superintendent goes against that, then there are punitive measures like not paying, uh, not paying the teachers, uh, and so on. I mean, the the situation here in Texas is not good, and the only thing to do about it would be to vote, uh, because there is an increasing number of Democrats now moving into Texas, as uh, you've said before, and uh, I think even last week you commented that people are coming in from California who've been burned out uh, by the uh, climate-changing fires, the huge, huge fires uh, that have devoured millions of acres in California. They have driven people away, and they have come here to Texas where there aren't that many trees (laughs) to burn anyway. (laughs) So... Uh, so we do have Democrats coming in, and the the, uh, the migrations of people 
uh, coming in uh, at the southern border of Texas are generally going to to uh, vote Democrat. And by the way, another gift that the legislature gave us was to gerrymander the state in such a way that although we have a large increase in the number of Hispanics in our state, so uh, we have maybe a, uh, the need for an extra precinct or so, um, an extra representative in Congress, what they have done is gerrymander it in such a way that they cut out um, a state legislature, legislator, not a state, a, a House of Representatives, uh, a representative at, in Congress. They cut one. We now have one fewer to represent us, and of course, it was cut out of a Hispanic precinct. So, <laughs> so they are being very clever. They're making sure that there is no way that Democrats can can win in Texas because uh, they have gerrymandered it in such a way that uh, Republicans will all, always have all the representatives and senators. So, uh, amazing. It, Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. So with without the um, the uh, the voting act that is up before the Senate right now and uh, and has been even discussing it, even debating it, has been voted down, or rather filibustered, not voted down, but filibustered by the Republicans. Um, only if that passes are we going to be saved from decades of Republican rule. Um, and I worry very much about that, but that's a whole, whole different issue. But it does have something to do with the electrical grid and the way that the way that public welfare is being treated here in Texas at the moment. Yeah. Wow. Just sigh. Okay. <laughs> sigh. Okay. Well, the next topic is totally different. Uh, we're coming up to the first of November which is, of course, All Saints Day in the rest of Christianity. But here in San Antonio, it's the Day of the Dead, El Dia de los Muertos. And El Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, is something that was, is celebrated in Mexico and in uh, Central America. I think it originated with the Aztecs and the Mayans. And um, when I moved here from Rochester, New York... <laughs> Actually, I was born in New Mexico, but uh, way back then, I think the Anglos were so dominant, even in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, where 60% of the population was uh, Hispanic. Uh, we knew nothing of the Day of the Dead. I think perhaps the families, the Hispanic families, celebrated it, but it was a very quiet thing. And uh, the Anglos took no notice. And so as a child, I didn't learn a thing about it. And when I came here from Rochester, lo and behold, here was this enormous celebration taking place. Uh, right now, we have a very large altar set up in the middle of downtown in one of the uh, in main plaza downtown, uh, which features larger-than-life skeletons, a male and a female, all dressed up uh, as a caballero and a, uh, a lady, 
a beautiful lady, except that she's all bones, and of course she's got that skull with its smile, and so does the caballero, um, with a guitar and so on, <laughs> all the props. Uh, and there are candles, there are skulls, uh, also decorating around at their feet, and uh, and marigolds. Uh, a while back, I took a tour uh, in Mexico, in Sonora. Um, I was visiting the uh, former Jesuit missions uh, down there because I was writing a book about one of the missionaries of the 18th century when those missions were mainly built. And I noticed that there were whole fields, acres and acres of marigolds, yellow and orange marigolds, beautiful, beautiful display. And I asked the bus driver, I said, what is this? What's going on? And he said, well, this is for the Dia de los Muertos on the, the 1st of November, or preparing for the 1st of November. Families will set up their little private altars, and they will decorate the altar with marigolds of both colors and with little skulls and, or little skeleton figures and with pictures of their dead loved ones. And some of them will go to the graveyards and, with uh, picnic dinners, and they will have a picnic right on the grave, and they'll have a, a, a plate set aside for the deceased, and they will celebrate. Mm. And they will, uh, they will lift a glass of uh, champagne or other liquor uh, to celebrate the, uh, the dead and to share. Uh, and so uh, I found this very exotic and, and in, in a way very lovely. It's bizarre. It's macabre. But, uh, but there it is. And it's, uh, it's distinct from an All Saints Day because, of course, that celebrates the saints. Not not your dead relatives, but but I know that even in Europe, people do go to decorate the graves on All Saints Day. Uh, so you'll see uh, people, uh, caravans almost, of people going to the graveyards in France or Italy uh, to put flowers on the graves. But uh, having having a jovial feast on the uh, sitting on the tombstone. <laughs> uh, I, I love uh, it. To be honest with you, I love the. I love the tradition. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, really. It, it does keep you in touch. And, of course, the people are telling stories about uh, what Grandpa used, you know, Grandpa used to tell us the story about uh, about World War One and what happened to him during the war and uh, and the heroics uh, that he knew about or had, had uh, performed himself. Uh, and so stories like that. Um, I think it's a beautiful tradition. It it really is, and it's. Uh, I would prefer that. Uh, you know, look, I I would prefer that to, um, uh, to to uh, Halloween or All Saints Day or yes. whatever. I I think it's wonderful. Uh, as they say, you're you you're alive for a very short period of time, and you're dead for a really long period of time. So uh, <laughs> you know, I it would I think it would be nice to have to be remembered on that day. Yes, and it's an antidote to the Halloween that we uh, we normally have celebrated, in which we have malevolent uh, creatures, ghosts, and and bats and black cats and so on that are supposed to be evil uh, floating around. Uh, instead of that, we have uh, we 
de-horrify, if I can coin the word, we de-horrify the death, the the dead, and the skeletons are there as memento mori uh, to, to remind us that we'll all go, we'll all come to that eventually. Yeah. <clears throat> we cannot evade it. We cannot avoid it. We might as well accept it. We might as well even celebrate that. Uh, that our ancestors and our immediate parents maybe have gone uh, that way, and uh, we might as well remember them as vital, still living in our memory. As long as we remember them, they still live. And so that is the Day of the Dead. Coco uh, was the name of the... Uh, we were talking. Coco, yes, yes, Coco. yes. It was terrific. And I'll, I haven't seen it. I intended to go, and somehow or other it slipped by me. I'm going to have to uh, get it. Uh, you would enjoy it. You would enjoy it very much. I, I'm sure. I'm it. sure. Yes. And again, it uh, de-horrifies uh, death. It makes, makes it something inevitable and human. It humanizes it. Yeah, very, so, uh, yeah. Very good tradition. That's something we should adopt here, that's for sure. So, and then a totally, totally different topic, this being a news magazine today rather than a single theme, uh, is that NASA, which is, as you probably all know, is the, is the space agency that has been in Houston for many years, uh, since the moon shot and, and the moon walk, um, is now investigating the idea of hibernation for space travel. And the, they have an institute which is called the Transi Transitional Research Institute for Space Health. So that is T-R-I-S-H, Trish. <laughs> and this is a subgroup of NASA, and it is funded at Baylor College of Medicine. And they are experimenting and doing research into hibernation for human beings. And the reason for it is that if people are going to be sent into space for, uh, say, a three-year travel to Mars, there is all that time, enormous empty time, uh, when food and oxygen will be needed, you'll have to pack enough food and oxygen to sustain a crew for three years. But if you can have them hibernating instead of moving around and using up a lot of oxygen and a lot of food for uh, maintaining their heart and lung functions and uh, food to maintain their energy level, uh, if we can cause this to slow down to practically nothing, then the people would not be bored. They could be contained in a small area. You wouldn't have to have a large spaceship so that they could move around and exercise. Uh, and so there are all these advantages to uh, learning how to hibernate. So what are they doing? Well, there are four, t four teams of researchers, and some of them are working with squirrels. I did not know that squirrels hibernate, but they do. And the golden mantle 
squirrels are the ones that are the best hibernators. They, their bodies go into sub-zero temperatures even. Wow. wow. So they're in, let's say they're in the uh, nest up in the top of the tree there. And the temperatures dip, as they did in San Antonio, as I just was uh, uh, railing about. Um, uh, so they're up there, and these leafy uh, nests obviously are not going to keep out the cold. And so it, it goes down sub-zero in the air around them. It'll go down to sub-zero in their bodies. And yet in the spring, they'll come back in perfect health. No no tissue damage, nothing at all. And so a team of researchers is working to find out what sort of genetic uh, material there is in these squirrels to enable them to do that. It would be some kind of proteins that might be able to, we might be able to isolate it imitate it and inject it into the human body so that it, the same thing could be done with humans. Wow. So, yeah, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, there are other animals that hibernate, like bears, but bears maintain. I mean, they go into caves, and caves, uh, the, the temperature of the earth, generally speaking, uh, if you go down into a mine, the temperature will be about 58, I believe, for Fahrenheit. And it maintains that temperature at all times. So a heat pump could pump air up from a, uh, a mine and keep a house uh, in, let's say, Alaska, keep a house at 58 and then you can add a few more calories, <laughs> heat calories, uh, to that to keep it at 70. But you would not have to have uh, all that power to bring it up from, from say, minus, minus 10 below zero to 70 degrees. You'd only have to do it from 78 to, to, seven, to 70, so that's only 12 degrees. Uh, so... Um, so they, bears then will hibernate in caves, and that keeps their body temperature around 58, which keeps all their their heart rate is slows down, but it's still going. The brain uh, is asleep, uh, and but the blood is circulating, and uh, uh, so the bears are te- temperate temperature hibernators. And then there are uh, animals in between squirrels and bears also in Madagascar, for instance. And uh, so these these teams are working with all of that. In addition to that, uh, we now know archaeologists have dug up uh, people. Uh, they were proto-humans. They were pre-Neanderthals and certainly pre-modern man who hibernated. And we know that from the fossils uh, that have been uh, checked for DNA. And they are now trying to isolate the protein in the DNA that enabled these people to hibernate during winter. And, of course, that was during the Ice Age. So there were long periods of time when absolutely there was no no source of food outside. And they... uh, uh, they really had time on their hands, boredom time on their hands as well. There was nothing to be done except to wait it out until it uh, until spring came and it 
nature began to uh, defrost and animals began to move around again. So these people back then um, hibernated during the winter. And uh, one of the teams, one of these Trish teams, um, is working on that angle uh, to figure out what this protein is and where, whether we can reconstruct it and use it. And so uh, that is my story on hibernation, human hibernation for the day. Amazing. You know, absolutely, uh, the subject is uh, on hu- uh, of human hibernation is is wonderful. Did it say anything about extending or or uh, or maybe curtailing lifespan? Uh, I'm sorry. Did, was anything about said what? About either extending somebody's lifespan or uh, oh, or, or um, actually. Uh, I, obviously, they they would have to if we are going to go into deeper space, say to um, well to to one of the nearest stars, Alpha Centauri, for instance. That um, that uh, solar and planetary uh, system that's up there, uh, we would have to extend our lives because it would take uh, ages. <laughs> Yeah. 25 years or something to get there at the fastest speed. Maybe the speed of light even would take 25 years. So, um, yes, I think that's part of it. Um, because suspended animation would suspend all the bodily functions, but uh, they would not. Uh, there would be no wear and tear. Uh, there also would, of course, be no um, no food going in, no oxygen being breathed. And no elimination, so uh, none of none of those uh, inconvenient human necessities would be going on, and therefore there, uh, as I just said, there'd be no wear and tear on the body, and therefore the life of that person would be extended. So if you were asleep for 25 years and woke up uh, orbiting Alpha Centauri and looking looking for planets up there. Uh, and able to to guide the spacecraft to something that looked habitable, um, you would not even know that you'd been asleep for 25 years, because it would you would have been unconscious that long. But un, undamaged, you would be coming out of that. Oh, by the way, I didn't say that they are putting people to sleep for 20 hours a day, right now. Wow. They have volunteers. <laughs> who are going through this, uh, I don't know how long this period is, maybe a month long, every day they're going to sleep for 20 hours and then they're going to wake them up so that they can uh, use the bathroom and eat and drink and breathe. <laughs> and uh, of course they've been doing uh, the, the, uh, the breathing uh, during their sleep, but not the other things. Uh, but so they can do it at taking in food to maintain themselves, and elimination would be necessary. Uh, and that's going on too right now. So I think this is all fascinating. <laughs> very, very much. Uh, it's just amazing. I, I love where we're going when whenever we we move forward and it's funny that that'll be taking place in in texas where so many people are committed to moving 
backwards in time. You know, uh, we're yes. actually making some some progress in Texas, and and if that's uh, if that's the case, uh, I don't say it makes up for all the other things. You know, moving us back into the 1950s and the 1940s. But uh, let me tell you, that is uh, what what a what a great uh, discussion. To uh, to think about that, you've been hibernation. I heard someone talking about it, and I just didn't. I wasn't involved in the conversation, so I didn't inject myself there. So I'm thrilled that you brought this up. It's just absolutely amazing. One of those, you know, one of those things that is a, is a game changer. Yes. Yeah. Well, it can't hurt anything. Uh, it's a, it's being funded by a Texan Research Institute. That's giving four million dollars towards research in this area. So it's it's being privately funded, not not funded for, by the state itself, uh, which I think is a good idea, yeah. <laughs> given what the state is doing. Yeah. Yeah, every other year, you'd have to, if you want to make any adjustments, you have to wait two years to. Uh, to yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> is that fascinating? I mean, just you know, absolutely wonderful. Um, and you know, I, I, look, I, I think we're making we're making progress as a society. Obviously, tremendous progress with everything that that happened. You know, there there were watershed moments in our in, in our uh, existence in our human history, and maybe this would be one of them. You know, certainly, I think stem cell research and what it's done has just it been incredible. You know, and uh, and just, just wonderful. Uh, things I and in fact that's one of the reasons I didn't I didn't approve I strongly didn't approve of your your governor becoming our president uh, you know pre, uh, George W Bush and uh, a big reason why was uh, was because he was against stem cell research and stem cell research <laughs> has been turned out to be what everything they thought it would be I mean just a miracle saving lives every day and and just Yes. Tremendous. And to me, that was a watershed moment as the Internet, you know, when the Internet broke through into into general population. Uh, it was. Yes. Watersh- right. It was a watershed moment because everything. Look at all the things, the conversations that we're having, you know, uh, you know, involved the Internet, the, the phones, our, you know, our iPhones are involved, the Internet, uh, everything that uh, that you could imagine. Uh, it was uh, was aided either by the internet or the technology that came along with it, and and maybe this, mm-hmm. maybe human hibernation is, is another watershed moment, and maybe yes. people that have severe uh, diseases maybe they could maybe they could be put uh, put to uh, a, a hibernation state while they are studied and and worked on and. And maybe somehow or another that would slow down the effects of of everything. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not a medical person, but I'm just thinking that there's tremendous possibilities with this. Yes, no no question. As a matter of fact, my my friend, the Australian psychologist, Bob Rich, Dr. Bob Rich, uh, he's an Australian and uh, has written all kinds of books uh, in uh, psychiatry and also uh, novels, and one of his novels is, is precisely about a woman with cancer who was put into hibernation and wakes up uh, in about uh, 2075 or so. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, the uh, 
uh, climate change has changed the planet drastically. Um, but at the same time, the survivors, the surviving humans, uh, know how to deal with her cancer, which was what was uh, hoped when they put her into hibernation. Anyway, this novel goes goes into all that and is very a very interesting novel. Uh, he's written others, and uh, I recommend him to readers in the audience. Uh, Dr. Bob Rich. Just Google him, and uh, his novels should be coming up in on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, as mine do too. <laughs> so, but anyway, he has written a, a book precisely on that subject, and science fiction has uh, has toyed with the idea of hibernation for years now, hibernation in space travel, and uh, and that people are taking it seriously right now. This this okay. new Institute is uh, actually doing research in that area. So we may be able to do it one of these days. Amazing. Just really amazing. Uh, great job, Doc. I mean, uh, all of these subjects are, are terrific. Uh, one of them's a little depressing, and I don't mean the Day of the Dead. <laughs> I mean the the first one is a little depressing. Yes, Ironically. right. Uh, our our prospects were freezing to death. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, that is depressing. <laughs> how how bad is it when when the uh, the the report on the on the Texas legislature, state legislature, is much more depressing than something called the Day of the Dead? Um, it's just uh, you know, it, it, it's just and the Day of the Dead to me is wonderful. It's a wonderful uh, custom, and I, you know, I I wish we we should adopt it. You know, we celebrate. Yes. With those, with those people, and that are no longer. Yes, there. I think I think it is so charming that families gather on the tomb of the it's dead wonderful. person and and have a dinner there and share it with the dead person, you know uh, symbolically, of course. But yeah, uh, well, you, yeah. Should, you should see Coco. It's it's terrific. It's really really wonderful and. Uh, uh, you know, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it may be because of the I enjoyed the custom so much, but they did it well. It was well done. Yes. Well. Yes. Um, one of the most intelligent people I know in uh, my Toastmasters group that I belong to yeah. is uh, his name is Umberto Vela, and he is a great uh, fan of theater and. Uh, and movies. He knows everything about that. And his uh, eldest son is uh, an actor. He has gone to uh, New York City and is is uh, getting into the acting uh, uh, scene there. Anyway, he uh, he uh, endorsed Coco very strongly, saying that uh, it was really done very tastefully and uh, and and. Uh, sensitively to uh, to the feelings of uh, Mexican and Hispanic people altogether uh, in the, this matter of the Day of the Dead. Uh, so I uh, I haven't seen it, but on his the strength of his recommendation, I would certainly love to go and see it whenever I can. Yeah, well, you you don't have to go anywhere. You could unless they put it out again. That's true. I don't have to go and see it. I just have to get it on screen right here. That's, that's it. For mm -hmm. sure. Well, listen, Doc, as always, fascinating, fascinating stuff here. And um, I hope 
I, I, you know, I hope people don't have. I, you know, I, I'll tell you what. I hope San Antonio doesn't have a harsh winter uh, because of one of the. Oh, I hope not. Yeah, it's life. And we death. lost, we lost many trees that were just unable to withstand that kind of temperature. Among them, many of our palm trees. We had palm trees all over the city, and uh, I'd say a third of them are probably dead. Uh, some of them survived and and sprouted again, but uh, the big, tall ones were in great danger. Uh, some of the uh, the little short ones that are decoration decorative palms in uh, on lawn people's lawns in their yards, most of those came back. It looked in the beginning it looked as though everything was dead, all the palms, but uh, they they sprouted again. So so. Uh, if it doesn't happen again, the city will be back to normal. But if it does, I think uh, the rest of our palms may go. Well, well listen, just uh, uh, good luck to the city of San Antonio and, and others in, in Texas. It's right. Not just San Antonio. I mean, there'll be all kinds of all kinds of things happening. But uh, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, the author of 15 books, including Before the Alamo. Before the Alamo. It's a must-get everyone and and doc uh unless there's anything else we'll, we'll say goodbye to everyone and thank them for listening each and every week um any last words uh well i would just recommend uh, that we all go and or or get the film and see coco yeah. because i think it would make a lasting impression on anyone who views it uh, about the Day of the Dead and and the the right attitude towards death that I think we Anglo-Saxons definitely need. We need to revise our fear of death. Yeah, just uh, wonderful. No, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right on. And uh, to everyone out there, uh, happy Day of the Dead or All Saints Day, or if you celebrate Halloween. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, did you celebrate Halloween? Did you trick-or-treat as a child, Doc? Uh, well, we haven't had the 31st of October yet, no, and we are going to. No, did I, you? Uh, kids will be coming to my door, and I have a, a stock of goodies to distribute to them. So, yes, we are going to celebrate that, No, and then the Day of the Dead the next day. No, I meant as a child. As a child. Did you, oh, as a child. Very little as a child. Very little. There, a trick or treat hadn't been invented yet when I was a child. So that means a very long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was. Uh, and of course, the Depression was still going on uh, when I was a, ch a child. I was born in 1933. And uh, though people didn't have. Uh, enough food to uh, to uh, enable them to walk around the streets and right. use up energy looking for for candy which wouldn't exist anyway because other people wouldn't be able to afford to buy it. Yeah. So no, there were no trick or treats and and no uh, we did have some uh, uh, some parties um, bobbing for apples and things like that um, at church. I remember that. Um, uh, there, uh, there would be an apple on a string hanging from uh, a rafter somewhere, and you would uh, try to grab that apple and and pull it off the string. Or and there was no no fear of, uh, of bacteria in those days, so uh, 
uh, so you could lose a lot of saliva in the water as you grab for bit bits for an apple. Wow. <laughs> I was never very good at catching an apple. I, I don't think my mouth was big enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we did celebrate Halloween like that. Uh, but uh, we, I don't think we even dressed in costume to go to those parties. Uh, but it was something to do, uh, a special a special something, but trick-or-treat was invented in the probably 40s, I imagine. So I was pretty much out. I wasn't out of my childhood, but I was uh, uh, uninvolved with things like that. My mother was born, my late mother was born in 1939, and her parents um, didn't let her and her siblings trick-or-treat because um, they thought it was begging they thought it was like begging, and uh, uh-huh. yeah, that that was interesting. And I was, I was gonna, you know, I, was, I wonder would your parents have let you trick or treat? Probably, right? They might have. Um, actually, uh, it actually it began because kids would go around and play tricks uh, on Halloween, such as soaping your windows, right, and uh, and do other things like uh, turn your uh, your uh, trash can upside down and, uh, you know, the things, naughty things, irritating things. Let the air out of your tires if your car was out or uh, stuff like that. And uh, and then they began coming uh, and blackmailing you. They'd come to your door and say, either you give us something or we'll do the, the following. We'll soak your windows. We'll let the air out of your tires. We'll do something. Wow. Uh, and so people began to uh, to give them apples and oranges and maybe a piece of uh, cake or some cookies. Uh, and then it evolved into giving them candy, uh, which is, of course, a bad idea, but it's right. generally done. Uh, and so that's how it, it came into being. But my mother was uh, t- telling me about Halloween pranks in her high school, where uh, the one of the uh, classes, one of the men in her uh, junior or senior class, disassembled the principal's uh, Model T oh and God. reassembled it on the roof of the school. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, That's can you trip. imagine? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Funny, but... <laughs> But horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's the type of thing that'll get get you kicked out of school, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to be talented in order to do that. No but doubt about it. I guess they you should have learned in shop. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but a, a Model T is not a very complicated uh, machine, no. so they they learned about it in their um, uh, in in their classes on uh, you know carpentry and mechanics and stuff, uh, which which they uh, used to have in schools. I don't know whether they still do in high school. Uh, so they put that to use uh, to play a prank, really a uh, terrible prank on the uh, principal of the school. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Doc, thank you very much. You're most welcome, Frank. Uh, looking forward to next week. Frank McKay signing off. You've been listening to Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg. And if you get the chance, please order Before the Alamo. 
and uh, read, read the book. It is a terrific read. The story is just amazing. Binge listen to what we've been talking about here, and you can hear the story. But Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.